0: Good morning, morning. hope you had a good Thanksgiving holiday. How many of you guys traveled over the holidays? Traveled? Awesome. So we're going to talk today about this thing that I actually, as we were traveling over the holidays, I thought, I wish this was true in the car right now for us. Um, Traveling can be challenging, can be difficult, but before we do that, before we get into that, We've been in a series called Blessed, and, and probably many of you, like we did, I had dinner at my, my mom's house and my kid's grandmother, and we're sitting around the, the house, uh, table, eating, and we all had these little things where we could fill out what we're thankful for. And we did that, and somehow it turned into a competition of who could come up with the most things they're grateful for. My son won, cleared away. Uh, he, he did that. So as we're doing that, it's an important exercise, not just for a Thanksgiving Get together, not even for a season in November, in the fall. It's an important exercise for your faith, for your attitude, for your gratitude, all that. It matters because what it does, when you count your blessings, what it reminds you is what we've been saying is when you count your blessings, you remember you can always count on God. When you're aware of how much he's giving you and how good he's been to you, it reminds you he's faithful. I can count on him no matter what. The challenge is we become more thankful for what we have or what he's given us than the one who's giving it. And the goal of gratitude is always to connect us to our gracious, good God who gives us everything. But the best thing he gives us is himself, this relationship with him. His primary goal in your life every day is to teach you that you can trust him no matter what, that he's faithful, that you can trust him no matter what. And we've been in this series about counting your blessings called blessed, trying to figure out what exactly does that word mean. Because sometimes when we use it, we say we're blessed because we have something good or something good is happening to us. But when you look in the Bible, when it talks about the word blessed, a lot of times something good isn't happening. Sometimes the people who are saying they're blessed have nothing. So what does the word blessed mean? As a matter of fact, kids, if you're taking notes on the note page, that's one of the questions. What does the word blessing mean? So I'd like you to think about it today and write down what you think it means. And here's why it's important. I think we know what that means. Because if we think blessed and blessing only means I've got a lot of good stuff, someday if you find yourself and you don't have something you want or something bad's happening, you might think, well, I'm not blessed. God's not with me right now. He's not for me. But here's what the Bible says about the idea of blessed and blessing. A lot of times it's used about 112 different times in the New Testament With verses like this, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted for for righteousness sake. It also says this, blessed are those who hear the word of the God and keep it, people who do what God says. Blessed are the one whose sins are forgiven. Blessed are the man who keeps going under difficulty. Blessed are those who die in the Lord for they're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, speaking about heaven. The idea of blessing is very rarely tied to what we have in terms of stuff or money. It's always tied to what we have in Jesus and who he is in our life. And the most important thing we can learn is that no matter what's happening around me, I can experience what it means to be blessed by God. There's really no hint of material prosperity or perfect or good circumstances when it talks about it in the Bible. On the contrary, blessing is typically connected to either Loss or challenge or trial or difficulty, but always the spiritual benefits of being joined by faith with Jesus. I can trust him no matter what. The Greek word actually means, because I don't know if you know this about the Bible, but uh, it's really kind of not one book, it's 66 books divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament tells about the story of Jesus, about his time here on earth and going to heaven, and then the first followers of Jesus... And typically, it wasn't written in English. It was typically written in the in the in the language of uh, the Greek language. And so, sometimes when you translate from one word to another, my family and I went and saw Coco this weekend. Anyone seen Coco? It's an interesting movie. Pixar always tells a great story. And anyway, it's set kind of in the Mexican culture. And um, my son came out wanting to speak Spanish instantly, and and he actually's making a pretty good run at it. Uh, he can say uh, sí, "señor" and sí, "señora" and. Beyond that, that's about it. But he's got that part down, so he's fluent. And um, the thing about when you translate language from one language, a word from one language to another, sometimes it doesn't always translate well. And trying to get from Greek to English can be challenging. And we talk about what blessing or blessed means. It can be challenged to figure out what that means. But typically, here's what it means in the Greek. To be fully satisfied, no matter what. No matter what's happening, I'm satisfied because of who God is and what he does for me, in me, and through me. It means receiving God's favor. It means to have a God-given advantage, regardless of what's happening around me. Basically, again, it means I fully believe that I can trust God no matter what, because he can be trusted, and he's faithful no matter what. Really, it's anything that helps us be fully satisfied in him. One of the best ways I can think of it is really is to be blessed means it's to your advantage, to fully trust God no matter what, to look to him in any circumstance. And it actually gives very specific directions of, if you want to know a place where blessing happens, like if there's a place you go and you're just blessed, and God, you have God's God-given advantage and favor, and it's God, you're satisfied no matter what, if, if you want to know what that place is, it tells us actually one very specific place. This place is where blessing happens. And it's found in the Old Testament in Psalm 133. And in Psalm 133, this is called a song of ascent. Basically, this is one of a, of a group of psalms in the Old Testament that were basically prayers or songs that people would say or sing on this road trip to go worship God at these festivals. And it was basically a holy road trip. These were, these were called pilgrim psalms. Not pilgrim like pilgrims Mayflower and Turkey and that kind of thing. Those were pilgrims, but those aren't the only kind of pilgrims. Pilgrim means someone who's on a spiritual voyage. They're going to a destination. And the people who would sing this song, the Israelites, they would sing this song on this holy road trip. Holy road trip, Batman. They would sing this this song on this holy road trip as they're traveling together. And it's no surprise, because I know from my family traveling together over the holidays, and if you've ever traveled with family, you understand on a road trip sometimes people don't always get along. Shocker, right? So here's what Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And on your note-taking page, it also says, what does unity mean? So think about that for a minute. It's this idea of being together, that we get along even when there's reason we shouldn't get along. It means we're together even when there's reason we should be apart. It means united, oneness, togetherness, even when I want to turn the car around and go back to Damascus instead of going to Jerusalem on this holy road trip. Like, you know, I imagine road trips, there would be some fighting. And so they're singing the song to remind them, no, no, it is good and pleasant when we live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. Well, that's weird. It's that the dew of human Herman were falling on Mount Zion. I don't get that. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, his favor. It's to your advantage to be on the receiving end of this relationship with God. Even life evermore. Well, let let me talk about what this is saying. Several things are going on here. One is it talks about the word blessing and unity tied together. If you want to know about the life that God blesses, it has something to do with unity. Not just unity with God, but unity with each other in a family, in a marriage, in a friendship, in a business partnership, on a team, at school, in a church, in a small group. In any relationship we have, there's something about unity where God says, I can do something here. And when it talks about unity and blessing, it, it, he kind of spells out these, he basically gives two words, two images, and one big promise. And the two words he gets, says are good and pleasant. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. There are some things in life that are good, but they're not pleasant. There are some things in life that are pleasant, but they're not good. There are some things that are good for you, but they're not a good experience. There are some things that are good experience, but it's not good for you. Let's see if we can think of any examples. What are some things in life that you can think of that, man, that's good, it tastes good, it feels good, I like it, it's a good experience, but it's not good for you. Can you think of any examples Snickers, that's a very specific <laughs> reference. Pizza, pizza and Twix. Let's just say candy bars all together. We'll put that on there. What do you got, Gracia? Butter. Everything's better with butter. Yeah. Salt. Yeah, salt's good. Sam. Skittles and all kinds of candy. Yes, yeah, right back there. Ice cream. Some things are good, but it's not good for you. What do you got? Starburst. Starburst. Some things are good. It's a good experience. I like that. But it's not good for you. What's weird is on some of these lists, some of us will say something on one list. No, that's good experience and it's good for you. No, some of our lists will be a little bit different. Instead of thinking what's well, a good experience but may not be good for you, what is good for you but it's not a good experience? Broccoli? Struggle is real, man. What was that? Somebody else? Right back there? Eating vegetables, broccoli, and all vegetables. Although I think the potato might have something to say with you about that. Especially if it's got bacon on it. Yeah, right back there, Levi. What is it? Steak? Mistakes. How about like getting a, going to the doctor? Is that a good experience for anybody in the room? Raise your hand if going to the doctor is a good experience. Of course. Of course. Now, I'm not a big fan of the doctor. Now, let's say you go to the doctor. They go, hey, good news today. we got to give you a shot. How do you feel about that? But it's good for you. In fact, I could tell you that getting a shot saved my daughter and my son's life when they had malaria. Because the country they grew up in, malaria, is the number one killer of kids. And they both had Malaria. Now, if you ask my daughter, Grace, are you in here? If I I said, hey, good news this week, we're going to get a shot. How would you feel? Eh, no. That's a good for you, but not a good experience, right? The dentist. I feel that way about the dentist. Not a big fan of the dentist. Uh, Some people, who, who likes to hit the snooze button in the morning when you wake up? The alarm goes off, you hit the snooze. Our first choice of the day is to make a choice to procrastinate. <laughs> Our first choice of the day is to say, I'm not ready for you. We leave the bed saying, I'll miss you. I'll miss you. Like, I want to stay a little bit longer. Okay, some people would say that's not a good, exp- good for you, because what it says, it kind of puts your mind in a weird rhythm. Some people say that. But I think, but it feels so right, right? <laughs> so some things are good for you. Some things are a good experience Every now and then life, you'll find something that's both. You'll find something that's good for you, and it's a good experience. Going on a vacation, typically, for me, is good for my soul. I need to rest. I need to recharge. It's good to be away. It's always good for me to see palm trees. Seeing a palm tree is good for my soul or get my feet in the ocean. I love that. It's good for me, but it's a good experience. But then again, some road trips aren't. But let's just say, let's go with that. If you've ever been really, really thirsty, water is something like, if you've ever been really hot, thirsty, and you get a cold glass of water, boy, that's a. it tastes good, and it's good for you. Some things are both and. Here's, here's what he's saying. When you live together with others, when God's people, whether it be in a family, in a church, whatever it is, when you are connected together, working through differences, putting others first, everyone pulling for each other, when you're united together, It is good for you, and it is a good experience. And if you've ever been in relationships that weren't connected, you were together, but you weren't together. You weren't connected. That's hard on the soul. That's hard on your spirit. It's hard on your emotions. It's hard on life. It is good and pleasant when God's people live together, this ongoing experience, not meet together every now and then, but live this way in unity. And then he gives us these examples. And they're kind of weird for us. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard. You know, over the holiday, there are several things I wanted to do. I wanted to see a movie. I saw two. I wanted to go to a hockey game in Dallas. I did. I wanted to watch the Tech game. Glad I followed that along, you know, followed that score along and stayed with it till the end. There's some things I wanted to do. At no point did I ever say, you know what would be really good? Hey, after dinner, why don't we pour oil on our heads? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Who's got the precious oil? Let's pour it on her head. This doesn't mean anything to us, but it meant something very special to them. And it says this guy, Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. And he was the first priest, spiritual leader, kind of placed in a place of leadership with Israel, that Moses had him do this. And when they said, We're going to set you apart to serve God and serve people, they made it a special ceremony by something they did in that day. They would pour, pour oil. So it's precious, and it smelled good. And it was very valuable and they would pour it on his head as a symbol, symbolism of kind of a picture of being set apart as someone set special to serve God and serve people. <clears throat> what he's saying is <clears throat> when you are united with others, when there is unity, it's like you're set apart to be a priest, to serve God and to serve others, that God can use you to lead and serve others. It is a holy moment that when you have conflict with somebody, if you're a brother and sister, and or two brothers or two sisters in your family, and you're fighting, but you say, you know what? Jesus forgives us. I want to forgive you too. We, and we resolve that conflict. God says, I'm right in the middle of that it's a special holy moment. It's a God moment. In a marriage, when suddenly you say, hey, instead of fighting with each other, let's fight for each other. And suddenly you say, let's figure out how to work through this conflict. It's a holy moment. In a church, when people figure out how do we live together in unity, even though we're very different, not uniformity, that we're all the same, but we're different, but we can find a way to be together. God says, that's a God moment. It's a special moment. See, unfortunately, people who aren't Christians, aren't followers of Jesus, they look at us and would say, you don't do this well. And what they're saying is, I don't see God in the middle of your relationships. You're fighting for yourself instead of fighting for each other, instead of doing what God asked. But when you do this, it's a holy moment. It's a God moment. I think a lot of Christians would say about this verse, is how rare and short-lived it is when Christians dwell together in unity. It doesn't happen that often. When it does, give it time. They'll find something to fight about. But what if we could do it different? The other example there, it says, it's as if the dew of Hermon, now go back, it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Mount Zion, it was the, it was the highest mountain in Palestine. It was just, I think, uh, south of, of Galilee. And it was this place where if you've ever been in the summer, it's been hot, but all of a sudden, like you get, like there's some, there's like maybe like a lake or some some uh, some rain's coming in and all of a sudden it blows in some cool air. And you know how the rain smells real fresh? Especially in Lubbock, it gets so dusty. And then when the rain comes, it just feels fresh and cool and refreshing. He said, it's like that. When you're in unity, it's like there's like an ocean breeze blowing through on a hot day. And it just feels right. He goes, that's what it's like when we live together in unity. And then he says, there's this big promise. He says, for there, the Lord bestows his blessing.'" even life evermore. For there, the Lord bestows his blessing. Where? When God's people live together in unity. If you want to know where God can roll up his sleeves and say, I can do something here. I can get to work. It's right there. He bestows his blessing, even life evermore, when God's people live together in unity. Even life evermore. This idea, life as it's meant to be lived. I think it's amazing that the God of the universe says, I want a relationship with you. You matter to me. I want you to know you can trust me no matter what. You can follow me every day and every moment, and I will not let you down. I want you and me, that God says this to you, I want you and me to have a great relationship. And then he says, and I want you to have a great relationship with the people around you. They both matter to me. God says, I want you to be a child of God, and I want you to get along with your brothers and sisters who are also children of God. I want that for you. And that's really where life works best. One, one translation of the word blessing is basically it's anything that makes us fully satisfied with God, regardless of what's happening around us, anything that draws me closer to Jesus. And one of the things that will do that is when you're living together in unity, connection with each other, Togetherness is a place where God can do great things. Togetherness is a place where God can do great things in your family, in your school, on your team, in our church, in our world, in our country, everywhere. Maybe that's why Jesus prayed for us. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you specifically? When he was about to go to the cross and be crucified to die for our sins to make possible a relationship with him, he was thinking about a relationship with each other too. And he prayed for his disciples because they would be the ones that would, after he rose from the dead, would take the message of Jesus and start telling people, hey, we're followers of Jesus, you should too, and here's why. And he would tell them, they would tell him he rose from the dead. And as he was doing that, he knew that people would say yes to following Jesus even after he was gone. And he prayed for anybody who would believe in Jesus because of what the disciples did, which includes us. Here's what he says. This is how Jesus prayed for you and me. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. If you're a follower of Jesus. That's you. He's praying for you, and this is how he prayed. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Not kind of we kind of get along or we tolerate each other. He wants us to have complete unity, that we are so together that the world would look at us and go, what's different about you? And our answer would always be, we follow Jesus. I can't do this on my own. I need God's help. And he set the example, but he empowers it. And here's why. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Here's what he says. This is why unity, togetherness matters so much. The world will either look at how we treat each other and how we handle our relationships in our families, in our schools, in our churches, in our business, in small groups, wherever it is as Christians, how we relate to each other will either tell people, this isn't for real, or it will tell them, this is legit, this is the real deal. God is doing something here. They will believe that Jesus was sent by God and Jesus loves them is what they will know when they see us with unity. The next conflict you resolve with somebody may be the tipping point that helps somebody believe there really is a God and he loves me too. Just by watching how you two, whoever that other person might be, get along or that group of people get along. This is why we don't gossip or we don't slander. We don't talk about people behind their back. It's why we believe the best and we, we extend trust and we rebuild relationships and we never give up on anybody because God never gave up on us. Unity matters for your faith and the faith of the people around you more than you could possibly know, so much so that Jesus going to the cross says, God, I pray for the people that will believe. Just help them have complete unity. It matters. As a matter of fact, it matters so much that in the rest of the New Testament, he tells us again and again and again, God gives us these ideas of how we're supposed to live together. As a matter of fact, almost 50 different times, expressions of this one Greek word called, uh, we're talking about learning a different language. It's a Greek word that translates into one another. Here's a list of them. The yellow word, one another. It's one Greek word pronounced alelone. Say that with me, alelone. You just spoke Greek. You just said one another. And so again and again and again, there's all these lists where it tells us Jesus says be at peace with each other. The apostle Paul wrote a ton of them. Don't grumble among one another. What does grumble mean? That guy, he's no you know, kind of, you don't say it out loud so they can hear you, but just loud enough, but they might. Uh, that guy, he's no good. It's out loud, just loud enough so someone can hear it, but you're trying to keep it down. You're just grumbling, complain, complaining. Have the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Gently, gently patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. He adds an extension on that. Just as Christ has forgiven you. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Seek good from one another. Don't complain against one another. these one another statements, we did a whole series on it a year ago talking about how there's so many of these statements. So clearly it matters how we treat each other. It matters to us. It matters to our relationship. It matters to God. It matters to people who are on the outside looking in going, I don't know if I believe in God or not. Why don't you believe? Because I see how people follow God, how they treat each other. It matters to so many different people. And a hundred times in the New Testament, in about 50-something different expressions, it says, I want you to love one another, treat one another with, with, with respect, uh, forgive one another, all these things. So much so that it's such a long list, there's no way we can possibly remember all of them without a ton and ton of memorization and going through a list every time. Okay, right now with, with, with Pat, okay, am I, gonna, am I loving? Am I forgiving? Am I grumbling? Okay. I can give you a simple way. We talked about this a year ago. A simple way to figure out how you can one another one another really well. If you want to get this right, you do this. You frame your moment. You know what a frame is, right? You ever put a picture in a frame where you frame something and it kind of singles it out where you can kind of look at it and all you can see that is that one little thing. Well, basically it says, if you framed every moment with these four words, this summarizes all the one another's. One third of them have to do with unity, what we're talking about today. Be together even when you have a reason not to be together. Be for each other, no matter what. The other ones, about about a third of them, actually all say love one another. It's the most commonly, frequently repeated one another in the Bible. Love one another the way Christ has loved you. About uh, 15% of them deal with humility. Humility means I'm going to think of others as much as myself, if not more than myself. I'm going to put others first. This is a tough one for us to wrap our head around because if I'm putting you first, what is it, what, what's What's going to happen to me? But The thing is, if you're in a relationship and everyone's doing this, life works really, really well because everyone's looking out for everyone. No one gets overlooked. Humility means thinking of yourself less, but not thinking less of yourself. You've, you're valuable. You matter. But it means I'm going to look out for my sister I'm going to look out for my friend. I'm going to look out for my neighbor as much as I'm looking out for my own needs. Very rarely do I wake up and think, I wonder how it's going for my neighbor today. I I should go check on him. Usually I'm thinking about my needs. But God says, you'll be frustrated with life if you try to put yourself at the center of your world. Put me at the center. Put others as a priority and watch how well life works. So unity, love, humility, and then if you just focus the other, one on others about building others up, what can I do to build you up, to help you grow, to move you forward, to help you experience truth and growth and be the person God created you to be? If you had all four of those words, basically on your, the kid's note-taking page, it's got four questions. Does this promote unity? If everything I said and everything I did, I said, right now with this moment right here, does this promote unity? What I'm about to say To this person or about this person? Is this promoting unity? Are we more together because of what I'm saying or doing? And if the answer is no, don't say it. Don't do it. I mean, you know, my my mom told me growing up, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? Have you ever heard that phrase? There'd be a lot of people working as mimes in the world if that were the case, right? (laughs) Because it seems like all we have a mime is someone who doesn't talk. They just kind of, you know, pantomime, mime. Anyway. I feel like that's not important, but anyway, the idea is: if we did everything we said or did, is this promoting unity? Is the post on social media will this bring people together? Some people, <laughs> let's light the torches and storm the castle, right? It'll. For some people come together, not all of us. Does it promote unity? The, the second question on the side: Does this express love? Could I honestly say this and tell myself? You're being very loving right now. That, that really communicates that you love one another, which is a third of the one another statements. Does it express love? The bottom of the frame, does this come from and or put me in an attitude of humility, meaning others matter? Don't just look after your own needs, but to the needs of other, others. Does it put me in a place of humi- humility or express humility? Does, does the other person feel like you matter as much as me? And then that fourth one, does this build others up? Is what I'm saying going to help them move forward in their faith or in life? Does it help them become the person God created them to be? And if you took every moment and you asked that question with everything you said and you framed every moment, those four words, those four questions, how different would your life be? The promise from Jesus is your life would be the life he intended you to live. And the promise from Psalm 133 is that's the place where God provides, uh, where God blesses, where his blessing lives, where his blessing thrives. That's where life happens, even life evermore. One of the questions about these four ideas is, is it an attitude something you think, or is it an action something you do? And it probably starts as an attitude, but I really think it's both. And if you wake up every day with the mindset of saying, today my goal Is I want to bring people together. My goal today is there's some people that I feel like something's off between us. I want to make it right. Not I want to be right, I want to make it right. If I woke up every day saying, How can I just let people know today that they matter to me and they matter to God, that they are loved? If I woke up every day saying, Today I'm not going to make it about me, I'm going to make it about others. And today, I want to be part of what God's doing to build others up. Because there's lots of people in the world that they feel like they've got a permit to tear people down. But what if we were on the building side of things? I think that's why God says when people live together in unity, that's where I can get some stuff done. That's where I can work like nowhere else when we're united, when there's unity. So here's the question, specifically talking about the idea of unity. What's your role in that? I want you to think about the people you're around on a regular basis. In your home, at work, at school, on teams, wherever it is. In church, in a small group. If you're in student ministry or kids ministry, wherever it is. Like wherever it your pockets of people. Especially if you know they're also a follower of Jesus. What God wants for us is unity. So what's your part in that? A lot of times I think it's, it's, I'm going to sit back and wait for someone to do something. That person is you. God says, make it right. Promote unity. Build togetherness. In fact, what I I want you to think about is, what step could you take today to promote unity, togetherness? What could you do today? And then imagine how different your world would be if all the relationships in your life had unity? The truth is, they won't. But some of them could. And some of them could be stronger over time, and it can grow, and you play a significant role in that. And it's so much so that the Apostle Paul, when he was praying for us, Jesus prayed for you, the Apostle Paul, this is how he prayed for us. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, basically what God has that same frame, he wants to give you endurance, he wants to encourage you to keep moving forward, He wants to give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had. He wants you to think about others the way Jesus thought about others. That's what he's doing in your life every day. He goes, I want to make you more like Jesus. And he can do that when you go, I can trust God no matter what. So forgiving them, letting them off the hook, or owning my part and saying I'm sorry, whatever it is, trying to go and and work through differences, sometimes that's a lot of work and it doesn't always work out. But Jesus says, this is what I want you to be about. I want to encourage you to keep going and have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. So that, here's why, so that with one mind and one voice, a united together mind and voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God gets the credit when we get along. God gets the credit when there's unity. But it takes us being willing to say yes to Jesus and to each other for that to happen. And the Apostle Paul prayed for that. Jesus prayed for that. They knew it was important. And what I can tell you is this. If you want to have a Christ-centered life, a Christ-centered family, a Christ-centered centered business, a Christ-centered uh, school, whatever, wherever, whatever your, wherever Monday morning finds you, whatever your normal, everyday life looks like, and for us, that Live Oak is our church home, for us to have a Christ-centered church as Jesus leads our church, unity will either make that happen or it will tear it apart. And we all have a role in that in whatever circle we're in. And it's always worth it. If you can think of the times in life where you've had unity and togetherness, in spite of reason maybe why that shouldn't be there, and you were just connected and together with others, there is nothing that beats that. I wouldn't say it's like oil running over your head or dew blowing off some guy named Herman. I wouldn't say it's like that at all. But it's like whatever I would put on that, I mean, that's really good and that is good for you. It is the best of things and the best for me kind of thing that I could experience in life. And God, when he created you, he knows how you work best. He says, you work best in unity. What is your role in that? What part do you play? When Jesus was born, uh, Mary's cousin looked at her and she said, Mary, you're blessed, and so is the baby you're carrying. She was right. We're entering this Christmas season. And so now is the point where all people who are ordained clergy can say, You may now put up Christmas trees and listen to Christmas music. But what I would say is, You can do that all year round. You know what? You can put your Christmas tree in July. In my family, we're a house divided. When can you listen to Christmas music? Some of my family would say, is it ever too early to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Whatever you think. So anyway, now you can listen to Christmas music. We can start celebrating Christmas. Some of us already have. The godly among us have already have. But as you're doing that, we're entering a season where we talk about God's blessed us like nobody's business by giving him himself. And we're going to do this series called Christmas Playlist. And we're going to talk about some very familiar Christmas carols we sing at Christmas, but this isn't a series about Christmas carols. It's about the story behind it. The story, not just initially, it'll be the stories about why some of these carols were written in the first place. The significance, the life-changing moments where someone has sat down and goes, I- I've got to write something down and put it to music. And several hundred years ago, they wrote something down because of a loss of a loved one or being moved by what God has done for them. And they write this song and we still sing it today. But here's what happens when we sing Christmas carols. And here's what happens when we sing worship songs. It becomes some kind of spiritual karaoke. We just kind of sing along. We don't think about the words. There's always more behind the music when we're singing to God or about him. So we want to stop and think about not just the story behind the music, but the God behind the music. And the truth about Christmas or the truth about every day of your life is this. The main point of the series is there's always more behind the story going on behind the scenes than meets the eye. And right now, if you're in a place of life where you feel like, man, we're talking about being blessed. I don't feel blessed right now. Life is hard. Life is difficult. I don't have unity or I'm all alone. Whatever it is, what I can tell you is God is always at work behind the scenes. We're going to focus on that for the next month, preparing our hearts over this Christmas season, to remember that Jesus remembered us and said, I will not walk away from you. I want you to know me and be known by me and live together for eternity. And by the way, one thing we're gonna do next week as well, I just wanna prepare you to give you a week to wrap your head around this. We always do a reading plan for every series. And we're doing one for this Christmas playlist. We'll start it next week. And for the first two weeks, we're gonna read through, if you're willing to do it, if you take the challenge, we're gonna read through two chapters a day the only book in the Bible that says you'll be blessed if you read this. Anyone know what book that is? I've said it in the series. Yeah, it's Revelation. And and some of us are very intimidated by it. I want to challenge you to read it. Not because God will say you'll be blessed if you do it. This isn't karma. That's not how the blessing works. You do something, God will do something. It's not like this kind of fine print where God's now obligated. He just says there's something in here that it's to your advantage to look, lean into and look at. And for guys, uh, on Friday mornings, I do a deal at Rudy's. Uh, starting this week, we're going to talk about Revelation and read it together because it can be kind of challenging. And I want, and next week in the seri- uh, uh, sermon, I'll give you some ideas of how to read through Revelation in the reading plan. I just think it's important for us to know that God's story doesn't end in a manger, doesn't end in a cross, thankfully, didn't end in an empty tomb even. As a matter of fact, God's story never ends. It goes on for eternity. But we know how the story ends. And God said, you have a part to play in that. And you have a seat at the table. And that's why Jesus came to the major. That's why he died on the cross. And because he rose from the dead, we can count on his promises being true that we know how the story ends. And God says, I'm writing a story and you're a part of it. So I invite you to come back and maybe invite someone with you for Christmas playlist. Let's stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, thanks uh, that we are blessed. It's to our advantage to put you at the center of our lives. You ask us to do some things that we look back at you and over our shoulder and go, I don't know about that. That's why you want us to trust you. That we can trust you no matter what. Because sometimes you want us to forgive someone that it doesn't feel like we should forgive. You want us to seek forgiveness when we think maybe we don't deserve it. You want us to do things in relationships to build unity because you said it matters to you and to others and to the world that doesn't know if they believe in Jesus or not. God, we trust you. But give us endurance and encourage us to keep moving forward. Thanks for the fact that we have a part to play in the story that you're writing in the world. And that you even give us a glimpse of what the end of the story looks like. God, we are blessed because of you. And so we don't seek the blessings. We seek the blesser. We seek you and want to put you at the center of our lives. Thank you that you're willing to do that for us. To Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down in front.